0: And where have we been today through our health reform Supreme Court recap, Obama and nuclear weapons, how you get to sleep when you can't sleep, and taking civilian complaints about the NYPD more seriously. So here's how we conclude with a question you may not have stopped to think about, and that is, what is a museum? And we're talking more than just it's got four, four walls and there's archetype stuff inside. But really, what is a museum and what is its purpose and what role does it play? As you can no doubt imagine, there are lots of people who are thinking deeply about this. And one of them is James Pinero, art critic and managing editor of The New Criterion. He's got a long piece in the latest issue entitled Just That, What is a Museum? Hi, James. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back. Thanks so much. What were you going after by asking this question? Well, I didn't
1: know the answer before I started, and um, what I discovered is I think we're living in an age of what I might call the museum-industrial complex. Museums are big businesses uh, just with nonprofit status, and they're only getting bigger, and my question was, are they getting better?
0: And are they getting better?
1: Well, um, there are certainly more people going to them. There's certainly more museums than ever, but I do think that the um,
0: art-viewing experience and the art-giving experience is both suffering. So, listeners, let's get your, thought, uh, your thoughts on this. What does a museum mean to you in 2012? 212-433-WNYC. And if you think that's different from the past, mention that. 212-433-9692. What role does a museum play in society? And do you think that's different from the past? And are they going in the right direction? In general, 212-433-9692. Anybody who works or has worked for a museum, anybody who goes to museums, 212-433-WNYC, 433-9692. James, give me an example of a museum that you looked at and how you discovered that it's changed and what you think about it.
1: Well, I think museums are in a phase right now in what I might call a cultural arms race. They're trying to be all things to all people. Um, They're trying to be malls. They're trying to be Internet cafes. Um, uh, I'm not sure, though, they're trying to be better places to view art. Um, Let me give you an example. Uh, You know, I love MoMA. I grew up with MoMA. I don't think MoMA's gotten better with each expansion. I think it's gotten worse with each expansion. I think 84 was a disaster. I think the latest expansion was a disaster. You know, a lot of museums are expanding and talking about access, accessibility, The funny thing is where museums really that inaccessible before, and have they gotten more accessible now? They're certainly more crowded. Uh, They've certainly gotten more expensive. It's $25 to go to MoMA. Um, But uh, I don't think uh, it's easier
0: to see the art inside. But by accessible, you're not talking about wheelchairs. You're talking about something that seems like it's less uh, for some kind of rarefied elite and more for – for a lot of people, and if more people are going, then maybe that's an indication that, um, that they are serving a, a function in a more, you know, sort of pragmatic way or a more expansive way. That's certainly the argument. Um, are people, though, going um,
1: for the art or are they going for, let's say, the cocktail parties? Are they going for the restaurants? Uh, you know, museums, I think, are so special to us bef- because they are distinct from these other things in our culture – And to try to make museums like everything
0: else, I think we're going to lose something very significant. Some stats. In the United States, there were 46 art museums a century ago. Um, There were 387 in 1938. Today, there are 3,500 art museums, more than half of them founded after 1970. Those are just art museums. There are 17,000 museums of all types in total. Now... On the surface, I, you know, I'm reading those stats for the first time, uh, plus attendance at American art museums is booming from 22 million a year in 1962 to over 100 million in 2000. And I see those numbers and I think that's got to be a good thing. Uh, that's certainly the argument and
1: uh, you know, there's a component of that that is a great thing. Um, I'm not sure though that uh, – for one thing, I think um, – I don't think this can be sustained for one thing. I'm concerned that museums are in a kind of bubble. They're building more to raise more money, to bring in more people, to raise more money, to build more. And I think that kind of bottom-line sensibility will and is already eating into, I think, the culture of virtue and philanthropy that founded them. And uh, I think people are really going to start to question whether they trust these institutions.
0: Culture of virtue and philanthropy. What does that mean, and does it mean that it's eating into... The, the importance of what's being preserved in the museums? Well, a couple things
1: there. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have art collections who are now reluctant to give their art to museums, and that's a change. Because? Uh, because they are not convinced the museums, five, ten years down the road, won't do something to their art collection, monetize it, sell it off, put it in the basement. that They don't want to happen. And, you know, in the past, you kind of trust museums not to do that. Even if they didn't have a contract with you, they wouldn't do that. Nowadays, um, anything goes. I mean, there are museums do have rules, uh, but I think they're finding ways around those rules all the time about how to treat their permanent collections.
0: Elsie in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hello.
2: Hi. Um, I wanted to completely agree with what this man is saying. Um, I have noticed a really big shift in museums in the past 15 years from actually 20, from when I used to be able to go I am an artist, but I am I am am also a teacher and, first of all, an art appreciator. And I used to love going to museums because I loved art. And now people go to museums as a test tourist destination. Mm-hmm. Go to the Empire State Building, go to the MoMA. I think it's a completely different attitude. There's really not a lot of interest in the art itself. It's just, did you see this? Did you see that? It's a nightmare going to museums. I don't go to museums anymore in New York. And I recently went to the National Gallery in D.C. And it was the first time I actually got to appreciate and spend some time with art without screaming children and tourists bumping into you with their audio phones. I mean, it's a shopping mall. And I do think that the new MoMA, all the money that they spent on it, I think it looks like a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. I I prefer the old one. It was more intimate. It felt more like a museum. I feel like I'm shopping for shoes when I go to MoMA now. Elsie,
0: thank you very much. That might be our clip of the day. I feel like I'm shopping for shoes when I go to MoMA now. Ron and Chelsea are on WNYC. Hello.
3: Yeah, hi. I just wanted to say my my viewing habits of museums has changed. Um, Anything that's 2D art or paintings doesn't interest me anymore. I can see basically the mother Lisa on my home computer. So I'm only interested in... um, Large art and 3D art, sculpture, sculpture gardens, Storm King, uh, 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 anything mm-hmm. of this nature that I can, I can walk around. Uh, famous paintings just don't interest me anymore because I can, I can see them at home. So that's my viewing of it that has, that has changed drastically, which takes me out of a lot of
0: these. Well, what's a, uh, a positive experience that you've had at a museum recently? Because you're saying there are ones you won't go to now, but there are also ones you will.
3: What happens is I go and any kind of hanging art, uh, painting, I blow by it, and I it's just the for 2D.
0: Sculptures. It's just the 2D. So you're looking for it's 3D just 2D stuff. It's the d thing, and
3: also like like the I just recently went to Museum of Natural History. Their their space, you know, your extra uh, cost space thing. It had a lot of interactive stuff. You know, things uh, that give feedback. So that's really my my museum experience.
0: Ron, thank you very much. Ashley in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hi, Ashley.
4: Hi, Brian. I'm also coming at the museum world from an educator standpoint. I have a degree in museum education, and I teach second grade currently. And for me, the museum is an extension of the classroom. So if I'm teaching my kids the history of Brooklyn, I'm able to actually take them to a museum like the Queens Museum of Art where they can stand around the panorama and see the expanse of our city or we're going to you know the Tenement Museum so they can stand in a place where history actually took place and i really try to teach them that our museum in new york city They're their museums. It's an extension of their city, and it's not a tourist destination. It's a place where they can go, see something awesome, and leave, and they don't have to see the entire museum. It's a place that they can connect to and make their own and, you know, extend our classroom.
0: Ashley, I'm curious. A friend of the show was telling us, and you're a second-grade teacher but with a degree in museum uh, education, you said, um, our our friend heard about a massive shortage of qualified museum directors that once this generation of directors retires, people in their 20s and 30s simply aren't working toward museum management. Do you know that to be true? Any sense of that?
4: I do know that the program that I went through, my, I'm actually graduating in May, um, hmm. the museum education program is through Bank Street here in New York, and I went into the program thinking that I was going to work in museums and was sort of pulled over by the classroom experience and ended up loving being in the classroom. So I can see how there is sort of a divide between the museum world and the education world as far as the administration aspect goes. But I definitely enjoy taking my students to the museum.
0: Thank you very much. Interesting array of comments, James. Yeah, it's great. Um,
1: You know, I think one of the callers had a very good point. I think New York museums seem to be less New Yorkish than ever before. They seem to be more, more inaccessible to us New Yorkers. Um, and that's a real concern. I have myself found... Is it found like Times Square? Is it the Disneyfication? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Do you ever go to Times Square? Exactly. Um, I find I, I tend to go much more to uh, public, um, to commercial galleries to see artwork. Um, and I find that to be a much more rewarding experience than to have to battle the crowds at museums. But I would like to make another point, which is just that um, there are some museums in New York that I think are doing a great job. And I think the American Museum of Natural History is one of them. Uh, I think it's so tremendously comfortable in its skin. Uh, it's a place I grew up with, and it's a place I bring my daughter to. It
0: must be about three times a week. Fan of the Brooklyn Museum writes, but wait, the Brooklyn Museum throws their first Saturday events. They bring in the community. What's more New York than that? Sure. Um, that's great. I, you know, MoMA has a free night.
1: Um, uh, the funny thing is I think the Brooklyn Museum actually has been very slow to embrace contemporary Brooklyn art, for example, and uh, I'm not the first person to complain about that. I, I think there is a disconnect. You know, when these directors are on these fundraising treadmills, it's very hard to kind of keep your ear to the
0: ground about what's really going on in our local culture. James Pinero from The New Criterion on his article examining the changing role of museums in society and their changing financial uh, paradigms. Michael in Montauk here on WNYC. Hi, Michael.
3: Hi. How you doing? Um, I, I think that museums have to be able to change, and the way we consume and the way we view art has to be able to change, just like the way we've changed consuming music and other art forms. I mean, there's always going to be traditional museums. They're always going to be out there. Just go to those if you don't like the ones that are a little bit more modern that are doing things a different way.
0: By the way, Michael, I'm just curious. Are you listening to us in Montauk on the air or online? No, and actually I'm not in Montauk. I'm in Wontaw. Oh, Wontaw. Okay. Sorry. Sorry for the confusion. Thank you for your call. Uh, James, the last time you were on the show was to talk about how many museums had engaged in many of the same sorts of risky financial investments that Wall Street did in the run-up to the crash. Have museums recovered? Um they have certainly cut back on some staff,
1: but they don't seem to have fundamentally changed their outlook about how they behave financially. I mean, the funny thing about museums is that they were founded by Robert barons, you know, who were uh, – we can argue all we want about how they made their money. But once that money made it into the public trust by giving over art and wealth to these museums, uh, the money transformed. And to now try to re-monetize those museums – and to treat them like businesses themselves, I think, is going to cut against the culture of philanthropy that founded them.
0: And there's a bit of a tension in what you describe because you're saying that American museums have always been about more than just preserving the art. They're about community. But when museums cater to so-called populist tastes or with those kinds of exhibits, you worry that they suffer from what you call a failure of nerve. So how does a museum strike that balance? I mean, that's, it's a
1: difficult question. I think, uh, you know, they have to wrestle with it every day. I think they need to ask, whatever they're doing, are we staying virtuous in our behavior? Are we preserving the founding principles that we, that we are operating under? And uh, that, that should be asked every day.
0: Larry in Manhattan. You're on WNYC. Hello.
3: Hi. Um, I went down to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Uh, three or four weeks ago to see the Van Gogh exhibit and it was a Sunday it was incredibly crowded they had the audio tour it was just extraordinary there was no way I would have ever been able to see all of these unbelievable paintings if this museum uh, and whoever else puts it all together was able to put it together so I I think we need to be afraid of being too elitist uh, it's like that favorite restaurant that gets popular, and all of a sudden you can't get in, and it changes. Well, that's that's the way life is, I think, and I think it's good that uh, museums are more accessible, even if it is because even if it has become a,
1: a tourist trap. Well, that's the counter counterargument. Um, my question is, you know, I think the numbers are up at the turnstile, but. Uh, I'm not sure if I would had that same experience at the Philadelphia Museum, I would have felt the same way you did.
0: Thank you for your call, Larry. Now, before you go, you're the managing editor of The New Criterion, and I want to just take a moment to remember a past guest on this show, Hilton Kramer, the founding editor of that magazine and longtime art critic there and uh, previously in The New York Times. Kramer is probably best remembered as a defender of modernism during the culture wars of the 1980s when he was critical of populism and very critical of political art Got a reputation then as big conservative, made a lot of people angry. But you wrote on your blog that he wasn't just to take her down. You want to do a, a very short eulogy for Hilton Kramer, your predecessor.
1: Well, um, I mean, for one thing, Hilton has been writing about these issues that we're talking about right now decades before anybody else. Um, it's been an incredibly sad week for us, in New Criterion, uh, to lose our founding editor, and and a very sad week for uh, for the culture and and for many artists. Um, Hilton is perhaps known as a takedown artist, but he really was also, I think, so valuable as someone who appreciated the underappreciated. He wasn't calculating in a self-interested way about who he was going to write about or what he was going to say. And it made his criticism that much more valuable. And I know so many artists who are so
0: sad by his loss. Some of Kramer's assessments of various art movements, as listed in the Times' obit, pop a very great disaster, conceptual art, scrapbook art and postmodernism modernism modernism with a sneer a giggle modernism without any animating faith in the nobility and pertinence of its cultural mandate he didn't mince words Uh, well yeah he's unpopular but he's probably right about all those things how do you remain a relevant art critic and fan in 2012 and still carry on that sort of legacy well, there's
1: so much art being created today that really follows in a, in a great tradition, and, uh, and it is underappreciated. I, I've been spending a, a lot of my time in, um, in Bushwick recently, and um, uh, for years I've been appreciating what's happening out there. And uh, I'm actually going to be taking part in a panel in April about the changing nature of Bushwick. And uh, there's so much contemporary art that
0: it, it is worth writing about. We'll give the last word to Laurie on our comments page, who's responding to the caller who said he doesn't go to see 2D art anymore because he can see it on his computer. Laurie writes, the guy that thinks seeing the Mona Lisa from the computer is seeing the Mona Lisa. He needs to invest in some glasses. <laughs> James Panero, managing editor, art critic for The New Criterion. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brian Lehrer and WNYC.